Thanks be to God, and thanks be to you guys, outcasts, those who are called to be the house of prayer for all people. Um, If you would pray with me. God of grace, mercy, and power, God who has called us the outcasts and misfits who are at the heart of your story, at the heart of your work, at the heart of your house of prayer for all people. We pray that we would know you today, that we would know your love so deeply, feel your salvation in every cell of our body, in our skin and our bones, know what Jesus' life and death and resurrection can mean for us so thoroughly that going forward we can do nothing but be sources of love and mercy to the world and to everyone we meet. We ask, O God, that you would be in the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, the movements of our bodies. And if we should speak or move in ways that are not of you, in ways that are not of love, in ways that are not of salvation, we ask that you would help us to turn around and take the second chance that you are always offering. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In my family, uh, they grow boys big. (laughs) I have three younger brothers. I have approximately one to two million cousins, give or take one or two. Um, And all the dudes are big guys. So tall, muscly, or thick. Uh, They're like Vikings with red beards. They're just like big people. (laughs) I could wrestle them all to the ground until we turned 10, and then it was over for me. and, and I've been thinking about that um, because we're in the middle of this gender sermon series, or I guess at the end now, this is the last Sunday of our gender sermon series, and uh, a big dude is supposed to be the ideal of our gender system, right? Uh, straight, white dude who's large in size, that's the ideal. You get what you want, you get what you need. That's how the system is set up for you. Um, and that has not necessarily been my brother's or my cousin's experiences. Um, One, they are all uh, gentle giants. (laughs) They can be competitive, but they're sweet, uh, like sweet, kind people uh, who are just nice to those they meet, and they care about others, and it's just what they're like. Um, I I love them all so deeply. And one member of my family who is tall and big, um, when he was in sixth grade, five other boys in his class jumped him one day after school together, and later said that it was because they wanted to take on the biggest guy at school to prove how tough they were, right? Um, One of the members of my family uh, saw his friend getting kind of like bullied and teased by another kid. This kid was targeting him. And he tried to talk it down, right? He tried to diffuse it. He's like not a physical altercation guy. (laughs) It's not his bag. Um, But he was talking and he was talking. And then the, the kid who was bullying starts to go for the other kid, starts to take a punch and my brother steps in between them, um, and the other kid broke his hand on him <laughs> as he tried to break it up, and uh, he's the one who got suspended, right? And I say that, those are silly stories, and those folks have healed from those experiences, um, but that in a system that's about toughness and bigness as power and might that you use to squash down the other people it doesn't even work out for the big tough guys, you know? (laughs) If the system isn't even working out for the people who it's supposedly made for, 
it's not working out for any of us. <laughs> this um, idea that there's only a couple of ways to be and you have to be as tough as you can if you're a man or you have to be as feminine as you can if you're a woman, that the way to make yourself known is through power and strength and combating others and being over them and being more than them. There's no one who it doesn't hurt. <laughs> There's no one who it helps. There's no one who it serves. The gender system that is hurting all of us is hurting all of us, <laughs> not just some of us. And I think that's important to remember because it's not about flipping one sense of who's in charge to a different sense of who's in charge. It's about flipping from a model of in charge to the kind of model that Jesus always encourages us to see in the world, which is where no one is in charge at all, except God, God's self. And we're being encouraged to live peacefully with one another in a way that our current life makes impossible to imagine, but that God says is delightful and good and available. I've been thinking about this, about the ways in which um, systems of hurt hurt everybody in them, in part because we're reading the book of Isaiah this week. Um, and the book of Isaiah is one of my favorite books of the Bible, like every word extraordinary. If you've never read the book of Isaiah all the way through, it will take you a minute. Like, don't worry if it takes you a minute. That's normal. But read the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is beautiful. Um, and generations of people have seen in the book of Isaiah something special. Um, it was one of the most popular books among Second, Second Temple Jews. So the Jewish community um, from like 500 BCE to like 70 CE when the temple came down, around the time when Jesus was born, it was one of the most popular books. There are early Christian authors who called Isaiah the fifth gospel because it was seen as so important to understanding what Jesus was about and what God actually wanted for us. Um, I hesitate to tell you this because I don't think there's a way to find it on the internet, but if there is, I encourage you not to use it. Uh, my senior high school yearbook, um, my high school was so small, every senior got a half a page of the yearbook to do whatever they wanted with it. Um, and so you could pick whatever pictures you wanted and put whatever quotes you wanted. Um, and baby Christian Hannah, who had just converted, I had my like, you know, my like inside jokes with the swim team and like probably something from Mean Girls. Um, but then I also had Isaiah 58. Is this not the fast that I choose? What a fast is that honors God is one that builds justice. One that says when we center the orphan and the widow, it will be like the sun rising up at noonday. Warmth and glow will come over all of us. Isaiah 58. And one of the other beautiful parts of Isaiah, Isaiah 11, I think, um, is, is talking about the kingdom, <clears throat> about what God intends for us, about what God wants for us. And it says that what God's kingdom feels like, how you know, you are close to Christ, how you know you have entered a new way of being is that the lion will lay down with the lamb, the leopard with the goat, the wolf with its prey, that all predators and prey and animals who could not be together will come together and will lie down together in peace and in love. And that is a beautiful vision no matter what, but I think it's also especially important for us to remember um, 
like I grew up on the Lion King. Like I have seen a lot of visual images of like, you know, the fox and the hound and like animals playing together. This is a message where God is speaking through Isaiah to a deeply agricultural people. <laughs> Almost everyone he's talking to is a farmer or a shepherd. And so they spend all day, every day, seeing these creatures murder the crap out of each other, right? Like they are just intimately familiar with how hostile nature can be, with how cruel animals can be, with what predator and prey looks like. And God chooses to say to these people who their life is watching animals tear each other apart, I know that's what you see, but that's not what I say. What I am promising you, no matter how foreign it seems or strange or impossible, is that the kind of world I'm making the new heaven and the new earth, the promise I have for you is one where lions and lambs gamble and play in the fields together and love one another and cuddle. That's what God says the promise looks like. And it's important, it's so important to remember that promise. If there's anything, one thing that has changed about my faith in the last five years, 10 years, um, it, it's that I think about the kingdom more and more every day. Isaiah is one of the, what's called the prophets. Um, the, the prophets are books of the Bible that are people who played a specific role in the kingdom, which was to, not to, I say this in my Bible classes, not to tell the future, but to tell the truth. The role of a prophet was that no matter how mad it made the king, no matter how mad it made the people, you told the truth about whatever crappy behavior they were enacting at the time, right? You were like, this is where we're going wrong. This is where we've fallen off. This is what I see. And prophets were truth tellers. And I say that all the time, right? This, uh, they don't tell the future, they tell the truth, except for the parts where they do, in fact, tell the future, <laughs> which is when they talk about the kingdom. And that is half of what Isaiah is, is these beautiful visions of God's intention for us. And they're not just meant to be promises about something that's far off and like, you can live through the mud today because you know that one day the mud will be cleaned. They're promises about the future that are supposed to change how we live now because we know more about what God wants for us, because we know more about what God intends for us. We can start to be different in how we are to each other today and how we are to each other in this moment, that we can believe ourselves to be something more than our cruelest instincts. And that's what we see in Isaiah 56, which I would love to bring back up. This is, if you could only choose eight verses to know God by, to bring to your desert island, they might be these. They might be Isaiah 56, 1 to 8. Isaiah is um, sort of divided into three-ish parts, um, some people think they're three different authors. Some people think they're 12. I it's just, I don't, it's not, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, it's, I mean, it's fine if you care. That's beautiful if you care. But like, God inspired this wonderful thing. Um, and what matters to me about the three parts is that the first third of Isaiah is very much like, here is the future of our people. Here's what happens in God. We make really, really big mistakes. We screw up really hard. And then God restores us. And then the middle part was probably written when the people had been exiled, when they were just like in the worst part of the history of their people and the history of their community. And that part is like, 
oh, this is hard. Oh, this is hard. Oh, no, this is hard. But remember, remember the story we told? That story ends with restoration. That story ends with a promise. That story ends with something better. It's like, it's like the white knuckling part is the middle part of Isaiah. Isaiah 56 opens the third part, which is, oh, the promise is real. <laughs> People are coming out of exile and nothing is perfect yet. Like nothing's okay. But all of a sudden, the promise seems to them less of a white knuckle and more of a real possibility, like something that could actually happen in our lives and that God really was telling the truth the whole time. And it starts like this. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. God will deliver us. And then God names two specific groups foreigners and eunuchs, who would have been the groups that every generation of religious people had said were the least likely and the least allowed to worship and be at the heart of God's promises in God's kingdom. There are other parts of the Bible. You can find them. In Deuteronomy, it says, eunuchs shall not be able to go to the temple because they are incomplete. So eunuchs are people who had been castrated um, and uh, their genitals had been cut off and acts of extraordinary cruelty. Um, but they also then became this kind of sexual minority, this gender minority, like a third gender experience of the world. And they were kept from worship. That's why it's so important later in, in the Gospels, when um, in Acts, when Philip, the first convert of the church, is an Ethiopian eunuch, is that it says the foreigners and the eunuchs, right? They're the first. They're the first. You think they're the last, but they're the first. And it names these two groups. Foreigners were also considered groups that shouldn't be allowed in, right? Moabites, they're the worst. <laughs> people who are different from us, they're the worst. They could never be God's people. They will always be against us. But the Lord gives this message. Not only are they not against you like you think, not only are they not different from you like you think, listen to what I have to say about foreigners and eunuchs. God says, do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And then it goes on, do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry, dry tree. And the promise goes on to say, eunuchs and foreigners have a place in my house. All people receive my blessing. I have a house of prayer for all people. If you keep the Sabbath, and in this case, the Sabbath is something richer and deeper than just taking a day of rest. It's using keeping the Sabbath as a way to talk about keeping the life of God, a life of joy and mercy and love. If you keep the Sabbath, you have a place in my house if you are a eunuch and a foreigner. But much more than that, much more than you have a place, much more than you can worship, much more than you are a part of my people, it says, if the eunuch says to himself, I am a dry tree. That is how you will know you have failed as a people. That is how you will know you have gone far away from me. I am a dry tree. I am a dry tree. This is the slur. This is the accusation that would have been given to a eunuch their whole life, right? You are a tree that doesn't branch. Because you can't have children, that's why you can't be a part of our town. That's why you can't be a part of our worship service. That's why you're not as good as the other parts of this religious community. That is what the eunuch would have heard his whole life long. And what God is saying is that you will know the depths of your sin. You cannot possibly allow it to be 
that the eunuch comes to a place where he believes even of himself the hateful things that you have said about him. The worst you could do, the most harm, the most terrible thing is not only if foreigners and eunuchs are excluded, which is already a sin against me, the Lord, I have said they are a part of my community, but if they come to believe the things that you say about them, if they come to believe the awful things you say about who they are, which are the exact opposite of what I have said, which is that they are mine and they are beloved and they are whole and they are holy, that is the worst thing we could do as the religious community. Sorry, I'm just going to be weeping on and off all day. Um, uh, and that's exactly what we've done. It's <laughs> exactly what we've done, not only to sexual minorities and to immigrants today, but to all groups who are misfits and outcasts, um, people who are not of the story we tell about what it means to good, uh, be a good person or what it means to be a part of the community, that we have not only done the sin of exclusion, but we have done the sin of inscribing on people's hearts a lie about who they are that is against everything God has said about God's belovedness of God's creation. And I'm just thinking about that a lot today. Um, some of you might know that we are in the midst of a special session of the General Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is a lot of words. <laughs> say that a bunch of people are meeting in St. Louis right now. Urban Village is a United Methodist Church. I am a United Methodist pastor. Um, the hands that were laid on me to call me Christian, to call me pastor, were United Methodist hands. Um, that we're having this meeting to see whether we can pass some rules about whether LGBTQ people are allowed to love each other, marry each other, and be pastors. And I just keep thinking, um, here's what's true about that meeting. That meeting cannot stop what God has done. It cannot bar what God has made true, which is that queer love and queer calls <laughs> are gifts from God that no one can rewrap or put away or hide under the bed or stop. It cannot stop. It, that meeting cannot stop the love and the calls and the leadership of queer Christians that has already been made and has already been made real and has already been made whole. It can't do it. But there is something it can do, which is really, really hurt <laughs> a lot of people by telling them that they are dry trees when God has told them that they are God's greatest fruit. It can really, really hurt a 14-year-old somewhere in a church that won't vote the way that Urban Village will vote, who hears the leaders of his church say to him, you are a foreigner excluded from my community. It can really, really hurt the person who God has been calling for 30 years to start a church or to serve the world and the thousands that they would have served and the lives they would have changed and the hearts they would have been brought to Jesus don't happen because they have been told, we will not let your tree grow here. This, this session, this conference, can't stop what God has already done for queer people, but it can hurt a lot of people and what it chooses to do and say 
and it can hurt them forever. And it can hurt them in ways that are a sin against God and the community that God has called us to be. And so we have to remember this kind of kingdom, this kingdom that God has promised, because it's the only way that I see hope. In times when I know the power of homophobia and I know the power of transphobia and I know the power of simply being scared of people you haven't met and of things you haven't considered and of ways of life that seem different to you, I understand how powerful those things are and a lot of the time they win. <laughs> a lot of the time evil makes its way in the world. And that might happen. That might happen this weekend. Um, but in every generation, in, any, in every generation of the people of God that has ever been, there have also been moments when God made a way out of no way. When God sent God's Holy Spirit to soften a heart that we thought was as hard as Pharaoh's, but in fact had more to offer. In every generation, there has been a time when the people thought they would never be delivered, that the Passover would never come, that <laughs> liberty and liberation and joy and justice could never be known, and yet God came like a mighty whirlwind and a fire and a quiet voice and all of the things God comes as and said, no, things can be different. Lions and lambs can be friends. And the eunuch can say to himself, I am good and I am whole and I am holy and I am exactly who God made me to be. And I don't know on Tuesday... <laughs> whether I will be feeling like Isaiah 56 is as inevitable as I feel like it is today. But I know that it's true, even when I have to live off the fumes of it. I know that Isaiah is true. I know that the kingdom is real. I know that God is who God says God is. And I know that Urban Village will continue to be who we are, no matter what other people say about our community, about our ministry, or about who God has made and how. And so I invite us all to remember God's promise this week, whatever may come in your personal life, in this life we are living as a corporate church, to remember what God has promised in the book of Isaiah. And I want you to turn to one of your neighbors, and I want you to say, God blesses you. Turn to one of your neighbors, either side, and say, God blesses you. <clears throat> And I want you to turn to your other neighbor, whoever's on the other side, and I want, you to, I want you to say to them, God's house is for you. God's house is for you. This is the promise God made that no one can break, that no one can put asunder. No matter how cruel their words or how significant their attempts, God has said to us, my blessings are for everyone. God has said to us, my house is a house of prayer for all people, and no one can take that away. And so we worship that God, and we honor that God, and we pray for that God, who in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ showed us an upside-down world, a kind of kingdom we never thought was possible. We pray that God would do that again, this week and all weeks, as we go out into the world to let everyone know that they are, they are blessed and there is a house of prayer for them. Amen.